0: This is Sound Only, a Recapables series about Neon Genesis Evangelion, now streaming on Netflix. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. We're your Sound Only co-hosts, here to record our deepest, darkest, most passionate analysis about one of the greatest animated movies ever made. This is our sixth and final episode of Sound Only, covering the 1997 theatrical film The End of Evangelion, which complements and somewhat displaces the TV series finale.
1: Compl- like yeah, yeah, it. Compliments and some, somewhat displaces is a great way of characterizing it. That's a good job. I'm, yeah, we I'm we should good. explain it, right? Yeah, it's we like, absolutely we should.
0: We don't have to give the whole backstory. You know, part of this series, I feel like, is really reveling in the show itself and letting the show speak for itself, even though there's a lot of history about the director and about... uh just the production and the sort of pitfalls of making this show that happened and sort of shape what the show looks like. But we should say that obviously in our previous episode of Sound Only, we covered the final, you know, we covered the final episodes of the show. And the final episode the final two episodes in particular are very strange. (laughs) (laughs) To say Um, the
1: very least about it.
0: And the movie that we're covering today, The End of Evangelion, is also quite strange, but it's also Strange in a way that's just totally different from the t v series finale um there's a lot more closure in this movie. This movie is a bit more sort of plot heavy it has a bit more it has it has far more like conventional set pieces yeah. um it's orgasmic and ecstatic
1: <laughs> I really think that we should say orgasmic. <laughs> I really think that we should say that this. I think if we could just say that this movie has plot, whereas episodes twenty five and twenty six did not. Right. Not, not but, in the not in the, the the traditional sense in which we usually mean plot.
0: Right. And actually, one one of our listeners, uh, shout out to Nick George on Twitter, um, was volunteering his thoughts, and and this is a sort of thing in Ava fandom, like which do you prefer, the TV series finale or the film finale um and nick george was saying he was expressing to us that he he dramatically prefers the series the tv series ending to the movie ending and i think he wanted to pick our brains about that a bit and i think listeners will start to detect uh how we feel about the movie versus the tv show as we as we work through the movie in this episode but i will i'll spoil up front that i Love the TV finale, but I fucking love this movie more than I love most things.
1: <laughs> um yeah, this this movie is just <laughs> In the same way that you kind of like I said on the last episode that you had to watch episodes 25 and 26 alone at night in the dark. Um you know, you kind of have to do the same thing with the movie, I guess. Uh, you might have a bit of a dark night of the soul after, which means that it's also extremely my shit as well.
0: Yeah. And it's sort of a microcosm of the show itself because it really, the movie, man, you put this movie on and you come out on the other end of this movie and it feels like you've been through an ordeal. <laughs> Um, It feels like you've been through all of human history by the time you get to the end of this movie. Yeah,
1: squeezed and wrangled and trampled and then just waterboarded waterboarded and and shit out the other side. Yeah. Um, Which is, I, I mean, like I realize that that doesn't make it sound fun, but it is in the like demented sense that we have come to use the term.
0: You know what? Let's just jump into it we'll just catch everybody up by saying that obviously like the the before the instrumentality the human instrumentality sequence in the tv show shinji kills kaoru right he's in unit 1 he confronts kaoru in, in terminal dogma kaoru sacrifices himself shinji snaps off his head in unit 1's hand masato consoles shinji afterward but that's sort of the last conventional episode of the tv show and the end of Evangelion picks up right there. Um, it picks up with Shinji sitting alone instead sort of being, you can tell he sort of emancipated himself from Nerve once again.
1: Yeah. He's, he's kind of just not
0: speaking. And, he's
1: just wandering, uh, like, the, the far reaches of Tokyo 3 without sunscreen. He's just, like, strangely, he's wet for some reason. I think that yeah. he may have tried to drown himself by this point.
0: Oh, I never I had never really picked up on that detail of him being wet. Yeah. Where is he wet? You you mean like where he's wandering near the beach or near right. The it's
1: it's not like it's it's near the I don't know exactly. So much of Tokyo Three is covered in water by this point that it's tough to tell whether he's at the beachfront, at the same beachfront that Kaoru was, you know, spookily speaking to the Sele council. Right. Um, or whether he was at the place that he was. When he was first, like in the in, in the first episode, um, where he was getting picked up by Masato.
0: Well, Shinji in, in the movie quickly makes his way to the hospital. And he's visiting Asuka, and you'll, you'll recall that toward the end of the TV series, Asuka has lost the string of battles against the angels. She has tried to kill herself at one point. She... In the start of the movie, has, she's basically in a catatonic state in the hospital. She can't wake up. She's just lying there. She's out of commission. And Shinji visits Asuka in the hospital. But unlike other times when characters have visited other characters in the hospital in the show, this time Shinji's gone to the hospital with this, this sort of desperation of, like, Shinji feels alone. He feels clearly terminally isolated from Masato. And he just wants Asuka to wake up. And comfort him.
1: Yeah. Um, it's basically by this by this point in the story, yeah, he is shut off from Masado. Ray is on her third build and completely unrecognizable to Shinji. And he just killed what could have been his best friend, uh, or romantic interest. So only Asuka's left, really.
0: Right. He sort of regards her. It, their energy feels like she's the last woman on Earth. He's, he's just like, you're all I've got. But Asuka is... Asuka's unconscious. She's in the hospital. Shinji is, is tugging at her shoulder. And he eventually, like, turns her over. And her, her hospital gown falls open. Her breasts are exposed. And, and Shinji, in this very deranged moment at Asuka's bedside in the hospital there is just this awkward pause. There's a cut to the door of the hospital room being locked. And you realize that Shinji is masturbating. Yeah. To Asuka. And it is. Well, he comes in his hand. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, it's
1: basically the the, the way that it is, is that it's it's, uh, stitched together with, like, shots of the ceiling, the door being locked, and over it is just really heavy breathing. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you see that he, he comes in his hand and he says that he's the lowest of the low, which he is in that moment.
0: People take beef with that translation and the original, in the original English translation, Shinji says in that moment, I'm so fucked up. Um, it's, and it's funny cause like this movie, the movie is way more, I'd say, um, like R rated than the TV show ever was. And so the fact that the movie begins with, um, Shinji masturbating, to Oscar in a hospital and saying I'm so fucked up, you sort of immediate. It it's very feels jarring because you're it, just like, whoa, where, yeah. what is this? Where are we going with this?
1: It feels um, like, uh, yeah, it just it feels like. <laughs> How did you react? Like the first time you saw it. the first time I saw it, I was just like, all right, well, I guess we're just going straight for shock value. Then it felt like a like a yeah. screech, like a flaming guitar solo at the beginning of the show. Just because it's just like, yeah, we're here and we're we're doing adult themes today.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I remember the first time I saw it and I um, I mean, I was immature when I saw this movie. And even I, I think in that moment was like, oh, is this is this going to be edgy? Like the, the TV show gets dark, but this was the first, this scene and it being like in the first few minutes of this movie, it, it feels like the movie's declaration that this is going to be some edgelord shit. And I think it, it, I think it, it, I actually like this scene a lot. I think it's probably very off-putting, especially in like the current discourse, maybe because it is realistically depicting a sexual assault. Uh, yeah. in so much as you know what I mean it's just this scene where Asuka is literally unconscious and this Shinji is masturbating to her and it's so disturbing and profoundly strange and yet I just feel like this scene it really ratchets up it ratchets up the show's basic sexuality like I don't know I watch that scene and I think of that scene early in the show where Asuka sleepwalks into Shinji's room and mm-hmm. Shinji con- contemplates kissing Asuka in her sleep, right? And they, I mean, you know, the scene where Masato and Kaji are making out in the elevator, but also Kaji, Masato seems to have this very defensive, like panicky energy to how they're making out that makes it seem like she's in danger. And it just the sexuality of this show feels so violent in a way that it, it's totally by design, right? Because mm-hmm. this show yeah. is is proving to be about like the the perils of, of opening yourself up to other people, right? The perils of vulnerability. And it's just like opening the opening the movie with this masturbation scene just feels like it, it feels like this very perverse culmination.
1: It feels what, like an exclamation point or, yeah, an yeah. exclamation point at the end of, like, this is how you were supposed to be thinking about sexuality throughout the course of the show is right. almost what it feels like.
0: Especially sexuality is a way of illustrating how dysfunctional these character relationships are, have been from the start, and certainly how dysfunctional they've become. Uh, and that's all accomplished in the first five minutes of this movie. <laughs> um yeah. But... Moving, moving beyond that scene, so we we sort of quickly establish that there's a, you know, all the angels are defeated, right? And so Sele and Nerve are having a reckoning in this moment where, you know, it's like Gendo and Fyutsuki are sitting before the monolith men of Sele. <laughs> and Sele is like, look, you know, it seems like we're going to have to agree to disagree about you know, what instrumentality is, like, wh- what the next steps are for humanity now that all of the angels are defeated. Um And so there's this break. There's this sort of, it, at first it feels very bureaucratic and diplomatic, right? It's just sort of Gendo and Fuski being like, well, you know, it's been nice working together.
1: <laughs> it kind of takes a turn where, like, Gendo, you know, asserts his view that, you know, death is just the end it's not the it's not the beginning of anything it's not something that comes before a new start it's just the end yeah it's like Sele
0: has that way of speaking right when whenever they're talking about instrumentality they talk about it like they're fucking roman senators who (laughs) who have like some weird perverse vision of the future and you're right
1: yeah um like yeah it's just like you know this is just going to be the great orgy before we move to the great beyond thing and Gindo's just like, well, this is stupid. Um, I'm just gonna keep doing my thing. And Sele, it's this really like grave note that it that the that the I guess scolding ends on, where Sele is just kind of like, death shall be bestowed upon you.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um and in the midst of all this, Ray Three, so the third Ray clone that we've seen in this series, you know, she is kind of on a similar tip to Shinji, where she's she's alone and being very contemplative and She's in her apartment, and she once again is holding and, and contemplating Gendo's glasses. And this is the scene where she finally completely shatters Gendo's glasses in her hand. She leaves them on, I believe she, she leaves them on the floor of her apartment, and she leaves. So Ray is headed somewhere at this point. We don't know where. But yeah, our main development is between Sele and Nerv. And Sele, after falling out with Gendo... Hacks the Magi system, um, and it's like a it's a very it's a classic Nerve HQ. You know, lots of panicky buttons and
1: <laughs> like, lots of people shouting nervously at each other across right. the control room. Yeah,
0: and it's like Masato. Masato retrieves Ritsuko. You'll remember Ritsuko is sort of in a weird place where she's destroyed all the Ray clones and she's clearly fallen out with Gendo and she's kind of crazy.
1: We know that. Uh, <sighs> (sighs) Well, this is where Reese goes at. She's kind of in the brig for destroying all of the Ray clones and, you know, going, uh, uh, Love Crazy seems trite, but that might just be what it is. Anyway. Wait, hold on. It seems
0: trite, but it only seems trite because that is what the show does. Like, we're not. Exactly. The weird thing about this character is that it seems like we're going to end up describing her in, in these very, like, she seems kind of. Like a very strange, tropey, female, like tragic female character who's lovesick. But that's kind of what the show does to Ritsuko in the end.
1: And so anyway, uh, Gendo has a need and basically calls upon Ritsuko to fill it, uh, which is that please save my supercomputer from being hacked by the powerful faceless men. And she obliges.
0: Right. She gets the job done. We yeah, she she didn't even the have job to go done. over it. She does the same shit she does in the Lilliputian Hitcher episode, where it's just like, oh man, they've almost completely taken over the Magi. Oh, oh in the nick of time. Yeah, you we know.
1: rescued the computer from one blinking blue square.
0: Right. and they, It's sort of like Ritsko confirms that, you know, this thing is going to be solid for the next, like, few days or something like that. And then you just get this hard cut to Sale like, talking about the Magi. And they're like, well, We tried to be peaceful. We were just going to hack the Magi instead of peacefully take over Nerve. But I guess we're going to have to escalate things. Uh, And so this begins the first major set piece of the movie, which is the invasion of Nerve HQ. The JSSDF, which has been useless for this entire series, uh, (laughs) with their conventional uh, weapons, with their in-two mines. With all their guns and bombs, this time they're not fighting an angel. This time they are—they're launching an invasion of Nerve Headquarters. And man, this is when the movie really starts to feel different from the show to me. Um, oh
1: yeah, absolutely. The te- like the, the 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 tenor of like this scene is so like general Wolf Brigade type shit. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. It, it is very like. The, the animations of the JSSDF overtaking Nerve and like just mowing down their defenses because Nerve and several characters say this is just like Nerve wasn't set up to, uh, to repel like human inquest or whatever. It's right. just like, yeah, it, it was built specifically to deal with like angels and that's it. Like there were supposed to be no attacks from the ground, so to speak. But it's
0: funny because the sequence where they really they lo- they begin to launch the attack of Nerve HQ, it's sort of you see that they have they have both types of offense, right? They have the oh we have every missile bomb and gun in the country, but they also have these soldiers who are doing like special ops type shit when they're fr- when they're just initially breaking through. Just the first security systems to even get inside of Nerve HQ. Mm -hmm. And you just, you get that the, I don't know, the GSSDF up until this point is portrayed so ineffectively. Like anybody who has body armor and guns and helicopters, you know, you're just really watching them get like maybe a couple shots off at an angel before the angel stomps them into the ground and makes them look like toys.
1: But here you see that, you know, like, helicopters and vests and automatic weapons are pretty effective against humans. Um, And, I mean, like, it's just, there are just so many beats in it that, like, display so much more savagery than any of the angels have or any of the avas. Because it's, like, Um, the first
0: time you're watching people get shot. Yeah. People are getting like obviously Kaji gets assassinated. He gets assassinated off screen even. But otherwise, it's if someone's using a gun in this show that's not an Ava-sized gun, the gun is not working. Whereas in this movie, from from like from jump, from jump, once Sele betrays nerve, people are getting shot. There's blood everywhere. It's it's very jarring. That shift is very jarring to human on human violence.
1: Yeah. Um, and again it'll i mean like people surrendering and still getting shot people like being wounded and down and then being finished off it's very like the machines of war slowly rolling over like bodies in the street is what it feels like right so at
0: this point you have one you don't have any of the pilots um i think basically in the command center you've got gendo fuyutsuki masato Um, Ibuki, Ayoba, Hyuga, you've got, you've got the core command center crew and, you know, the gang and a few things have to happen in this moment. Um, first Masato deploys Asuka. Asuka's obviously been retrieved from the hospital. She's still in a catatonic state, but Asuka deploys and Masato's plan is, well, we'll deploy unit two at the bottom of the lake. And so even though Asuka can't move her Ava, and in fact, she can't even move herself, she'll at least be safe. She's encased in the Evangelion unit. She's at the bottom of the lake. She's safe there. And then from there, Gendo leaves Fuyutsuki in charge because he's going to go retrieve Rei. Masato leaves the command center because she needs to go retrieve Shinji. And so you are very quickly left with the the command center skeleton crew, which is maybe my favorite version of the command center crew, which is Fiyutsuki is in charge, and then you've got Ibuki, Aoba, and Hyuga holding down the fort.
1: It's also like at this exact moment where things start to get very difficult to understand, and it's sort of funny that Gindo, <laughs> Gindo is just like, Fiyutsuki, or I leave the rest to you, and it's just like he's talking about... uh his command post, but also the job of being yeah. like the narrator. So to speak.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, it's very much true, though. Yeah. and it's sort of the first time. I mean, it, the fact that Gendo ups and leaves, and you sort of get this sense that like Gendo has no intention to return to of the command back, center. Yeah. Right. It's 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 actually this movie is the first time you really get Fuyutsuki, You get really you get long Fuyutsuki scenes. Yeah. Um. In this movie. In the command center, and I and I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the command center is mounting a last stand against Sele, which is launching an armed invasion. At one point, they like blow the door of the command center open, and all of these Nerve security guards are like shooting out with them, and Ibuki is just under the desk pissing herself.
1: Yeah, I mean, like they're 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 shooting they're shooting out in the command center, but like. N- not using any explosives and so- because they don't want to destroy the Magi system, right, so right. there's just a lot of cowering under tables
0: in the midst of all you know they're invading they're invading the command center but also in the midst of this Sele drops like an insane number of missiles and into mines just directly on top of the ground level of Tokyo three because they're basically trying to to eat a giant hole through the ground to the geo front um and so they launched this like massive bombardment that basically just eats it it makes it look like the geo front is no longer covered by the earth's crust instead the geo front is a massive crater in the ground, and nerve headquarters is totally exposed in this in this moment um so yeah, at this point, Nerve HQ is at the brink of collapse. And even if even if these JSSDF people weren't in the command center shooting everyone, um, Nerve HQ is also exposed. It is exposed to the sky.
1: Uh right. So while the JSSDF is raining down death and destruction from above, and Nerve HQ is being parted for scrap. Uh Masato carries on with the plan of trying to get the pilots into their into the remaining Avas. Shinji is the only one that's left, and they are just like, Where's where's the pilot of Unit One? Where's the pilot of Unit One? And it's just like, he's hiding. He's hiding. And he's in They Shinji, find him on a
0: video feed, right? It's like they, they Masato pulls a up video a video feed and she's like, Motherfucker, he's hiding yeah. in a
1: parking garage or some yeah, shit. yeah he's 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 in the fetal position underneath the cat underneath like you know some stairs somewhere in some <laughs> hallway, yeah, and uh he is you know running in the in the literal and he's once poetic again running sense. away yeah, yeah exactly um, so massage was just like Ugh, fine <laughs> I'll go do it. And she goes and finds him just as he is cornered by a it's like, hit it's like three squad, gone. I guess. Because yeah, yeah.
0: Like that's part of what the, the invasion of Nerve, right? It's not just they're trying to breach the command center. They also have a side order to assassinate all of the pilots. Um, right. And that's, that's sort of Sele's way of, of, of rendering the Evangelion units under Nerve's control inoperable, as if you just kill the kids. And so they have a hit squad that almost kills Shinji until Masato runs up and shoves a gun in one dude's face. I mean, it's blows their, his it, brains out. It's
1: just like she's like Denzel Washington and Safe House in this little sequence where oh she's just God. like double tapping everybody on her way down the hallway. Yeah. Um, and she's just like, "All right, look, I killed all these people for you. Let's go." Um. Yeah. So they start making their way back towards...
0: Uh, they don't start making their way. Would well, they, they don't would, start no, making their like, way. Masato it's starts so making like her m- way. She's dragging, Shinji by, dragging
1: Shinji by his collar. She's dragging Shinji by, alternately, his collar and his arm. It's basically like we're creating the conditions again, like in episodes 25 and 26, where it's really like you can either do X or Y, but you can't stay put because you'll die.
0: You've got Masato who, mind you, there are there are soldiers in body armor running around assassinating every single nerve employee. And even under these circumstances, Shinji Ikari refuses to move. He knows he's being dragged toward Ava Unit 1. He's all in his feelings over Kaoru. He's all in his feelings over Asuka. He, he's almost in the same sort of catatonic state that Asuka is in. Masato is trying to protect him once again, while also trying to force him to pilot the Ava once again. But in the midst of this, we see Asuka in the cockpit, in the dark cockpit of Ava Unit 2. And the JSSDF have figured out that she's at the bottom of the lake. And so they're basically, they're bombing the lake. They're trying to Yeah, they're just
1: dropping death charges continuously around its head.
0: And it doesn't, right, right, right. They're dropping it like right on top of Ava Unit 2's head. And while this doesn't damage the Ava Unit, it does wake Asuka up. And she starts muttering to herself while she's still curled in the fetal position in the dark, in this very womb like structure that is the Evangelion cockpit. And what does she start saying in that moment? She
1: says, she just keeps repeating to herself, I don't wanna die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Um, and the it just it grows louder and louder and louder until she's hysterical. And then another journey inward. We have another one of our strange dream like sequences where she envisions, uh, I guess, a body decomposing first, and then yeah. Well, it's like, like this
0: ecstatic moment where it's like all of the other. M- Recollections, all the other bizarre recollections she's had of her mother, have been very bleak and focused on her mother's suicide. But in this moment, when when Oscar wakes up and imagines her younger self and imagines her mother, she's having the realization that her mother is actually the soul of her mother is in Evangelion Unit Two, and that as much as she'd always assumed that her mother had abandoned her and hated her, that her mother is actually the spiritual force protecting Asuka
1: when she pilots the Ava. Yeah, she comes to understand that the AT field is the clearest representation of that. It was her mother protecting her this whole time. And so Unit 2 activates. There's a giant cross explosion, and U2 rises from the depths with with a ship over its head. Yeah. Um, a whole sh- ship. A whole, a whole ass ship. ship. A whole ass battleship over its head and sh- just starts into mowing down the ground forces of the JSSDF all by her lonesome. Some helicopters, too. All the helicopters.
0: Yeah. She's gone from being immobile, both herself and in her Ava unit, to being the most agile that w- that one of the Evangelion units has ever looked. She is doing all sorts of kickboxing. I think my favorite part of this sequence is when she grabs the tail of one helicopter in order to throw the helicopter at another helicopter, and it's just and it's some just, beautiful shit. And man. then
1: X kicks the third one. Like, yes. It's like, yeah. 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 There's also like a like some fighter jets come in and start shooting missiles at her, and she does a bunch of cool flippy twirly moves to like yes. avoid all of them.
0: And then there's just one part where she she just waves her hand wide. And her AT field just materializes and it just, like, splits the heli... It just blows the helicopters up.
1: <laughs> yeah. All, <laughs> um, of all, all of them. All of them at the same time. And
0: she's just ecstatic this whole time, right? She's gone... Again, she's gone from being this totally bleak terminal state to having this very ecstatic... It's not just that she's... It's not... It's not just that, oh, she's back in the fight. It's that she has just rediscovered the true nature of the relationship between her and her mother. And she has found a new purpose in piloting Ava Unit 2. Um, it's, it's, and that purpose is sort of to reconnect with her mother. And that reconnection makes her very vivid and very dangerous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... It's still sort of sad and it still feels like there's a point being missed just because of the things that she's saying while this is happening. She's just like, did you honestly think I would lose like, to some amateurs like you? And then it's just like, I, like, you know, not while she keeps saying things like, you know, like I can't lose while mom is watching. Like, yeah,
0: yeah, you're right. There is there is that element. I I, I never really thought about it like that. She does yeah. get kind of hung up on this idea of, She's, still, she's piloting the Ava still f- out of pride. It just feels good in that moment, because all these characters but have lost all of their pride. It's good
1: pride. Yeah, it's good <laughs> yeah. pride. Um, it's, a, it's a welcome show of pride. <laughs> right. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> so you
0: have basically Asuka wipe out the entire armed force sent to invade Nerve. At least, yeah. All of the, all of the armed forces that are outside of Nerve HQ with the heavy artillery. And so Sele is like, well, we got to call in the big guns. And so Sele deploys nine stealth bombers. And those stealth bombers are each carrying a mass-produced Ava unit. And all the mass-produced units look the same. They are white. <laughs> How would you describe these? Because I have trouble. They're white and okay. they have wings.
1: So, yeah, they, they, they have wings that, you know, like, sprout out of their backs um they have i mean like they're humanoid like the like the other ava units are right but the forearms are like Less defined and doughier. Like they seem more square. And their heads are like humpback oil heads. Yeah, I
0: was gonna say they're humanoid until you get to their heads,
1: and then they start yeah. to look like
0: those Mario flowers. Like they ought to be spitting fire out of their lips or something. Exactly.
1: That's oh. exactly what they look like. And they have they they just look like they're wearing like just thick red lipstick. All
0: of them. Yeah, yes, totally. Yeah. But the, the way they fly is kind of fire, you know, because it's sort of like hang gliding style flying um yeah. and they each carry a gray oddly shaped blade it's um, like but- a glaive i yeah, guess yeah
1: and it's like the ha- right the handle's in the middle of it they have red lipstick they carry glaives and they move sort of mindlessly they're all powered by dummy plugs and they all have s2 drives which means that they are fully powered like autonomously powered and have no souls.
0: Right. And I I I think there's a shot where you see the the entry plug being put in and you realize that the dummy plug is not the Ray dummy plug, it's the Kauru dummy plug. Um that shot is in there, right? I feel like I'm am I making this up? I think I'm under the impression that the dummy plug template for the Ava series is Kauru and not Ray. Mm. Uh maybe that's Apocrypha. Maybe I'm just saying that, but I swear that's that's one of the very, very brief shots is Karu's name on the entry plug.
1: I'm sure it is, but you know what it is, is that it's like one of those quick shots where it's only in there for two seconds and the lining is mad squiggly and thin. (laughs) So it's just like you can't really tell. And I don't think that it is... You know, like entirely germane to like how the Ava series functions. Although there is some it like is, that is something that like... Asuka
0: would say though is like your shit is mad squiggly and thin. The fuck out of my face because <laughs> they're deploying the they're deploying those units at her. Sele mm-hmm. has dropped these nine units onto the geo front, and they're basically all surrounding Asuka. and Masato. You know, Masato's dragging Shinji around by his collar. She's at, she's basically at her car in the parking garage, and Masato calls Asuka, and she's like, "Look, I know it's only one of you out there. I'm trying to get Shinji in an Eva unit. We're almost there. I need you to fuck all of these Eva units up. I need you to defeat the Eva series that has just been deployed. Good luck with that." <laughs> I don't have yeah. any tips. I, like, I don't have you, an uh, FAQ. Like,
1: this is just this is like, we should note that right before these nine Avas show up, <laughs> uh, Asuka's power cord is shot off. That's, yeah, the, that's the, the only J-S- thing right. that the JSSDF manages uh, yeah. in their assault is to shoot off her power cord. So she's got just under, about four and a half minutes to fuck up nine Avas all by her lonesome.
0: But Asuka's like, you know what? I got this. And she's she, just she like, even like, it out. Light she's work. Like, she's like, all right, um, that's twenty seconds. I got twenty seconds. seconds. Twenty seconds each, and she just takes off running across the geo front. What's the, the first? The first one she does, it's like.
1: She just grabs like the top of its mouth and rips its head like in half. Like <laughs> His it was like, is out. <laughs> yeah, it's like she, and then, and, <laughs> then once it's headless, like rips it apart and like the, Lips it over the her head, yeah. yeah, it is, yeah, it's very, it's gruesome. It's she gruesome. has a
0: very specific and artful way of defeating. And this is like a slow sequence, and you're hearing air on a G, and it's just this very. <laughs> Again, it she really it, it feels like this sequence and this is sort of the part of the appeal of this movie I think is like this sequence where Oscar just really artfully and methodically disembowels every single one of these evangelian units in a distinct way. It feels like the sort of performance that she's been aspiring toward since the episode where we first met her, right? Where she's like, I'm the greatest Evangelion pilot.
1: Yeah. Fuck
0: Shinji Akari. Like, no one can, no one can top me. Like, when, when I said she had Mike Tyson energy, this is the scene in all of the series where you see Asuka in an Ava unit with that Mike Tyson energy. That undefeated energy.
1: Asuka is, you know, just working these, these, these nine nameless whatever factory variant Ava's up. And meanwhile, Masato and Shinji have nearly made it to the elevator that takes the pilots up to the catwalk where they can get into the Ava's. They're this close. They're right there at the finish line. Yeah. But just as they get through the blast door that is before the elevator... Masato gets shot in the back.
0: Yeah, it's like the, the the soldiers that have invaded Nerve, they sort of try to ambush Masato and Shinji, and they get through the door, but just in that last burst of gunfire, you realize that, like, Masato's taking one, she's taking a hot one, and she's not going to be able to just walk it off. Um, and so, like, right outside the elevator, Shinji and Masato have this this moment. First of all, Masato takes off her Greek cross necklace and, and places it in Shinji's hand. And you see that there's blood on her hand. And I always get the sense in the scene, right? That it's like Shinji doesn't really understand what's going on. Right. Cause it's like we, the viewer can see blood, but it's all on parts of Masato's body that Shinji himself can't see yet. Um,
1: yeah. And th- on top of that, it's just kind of, well, on top of that, He's just still in this weird, hazy cat. Like this, he's just waking up out of his catatonic state, sort of halfway. He's he can do well enough to talk at this point,
0: but he's just so like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to pilot it. I don't want to pilot it. And Masato knows that one. Masato knows she's dying, and two. Masato knows that they're there. They're at the. All he has to do is get in the elevator. And you have Shinji sort of leaning against the wall beside the elevator. You have Masato kind of leaning against Shinji because she's just sort of losing all of her energy and all of her balance, and she's going to go into shock. And she's sort, of, she sort of giving her parting words to Shinji, who doesn't even necessarily recognize these as her parting words, but she gives this, she gives this long, impassioned speech to Shinji. And it's just, it's Masato for the final time
1: doing the tough love thing it's what yeah. like she goes it's it's really this the succinct version of her speech is listen if you dissociate here on this platform and don't like if you collapse right here and don't go upstairs when I die I'm gonna come back and haunt you just you Like it's just like it's it's going to be, yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's (laughs) exclusively you, (laughs) exclusively you. Uh, But really, what she does say is that you know, like, if you don't do anything here, if you just let this happen, I will never forgive you until the day I die. Which, you know, Shinji still doesn't understand is today that today is that day. But he he um, also keeps
0: saying the things he said he said throughout the TV series where he's like. I'm a bad person. I'm useless. People don't like me. I, you know, he he at one point acknowledges, he doesn't say I masturbated in Asuka's hospital room. But I've he done says, horrible
1: I've, things to Asuka. Right. Um, He's sort he of justifying
0: is, an action by being like, I'm a bad person. Exactly. I, no one Which, needs I mean, to rely on me.
1: Is an is, again, another, like, it's just driving home that idea that Paolo the Ava is a stand-in for... Life, like continuing to live, um, right, which is you know kind of driven home in in this w- with Shinji saying things like you know like I don't deserve to follow the name, but I've hurt people and stuff like that.
0: And then there's just a moment where Masato snaps at Shinji, and in in the original translation, she says, "So fucking what if I'm not you?" And she she goes on to sort of close her point. Being like, listen, you're you are the you uniquely have the ability to get in there and fight. You, I I can't be you. You have to make this choice yourself to get in there and fight and help Asuka and you know presumably save mankind. And it, it's weird because obviously Masato and Shinji have been having these kinds of exchanges all throughout the series. I do think the new dynamic in this scene with Masato and Shinji is that usually. Usually when Masato is yelling at Shinji about piloting the Ava, it feels like she's doing so from a real place of like condescension and from a place of I'm an adult and oh God, I have to go through the motions of like getting a kid to understand what it means to take adult responsibility for things. But right. Act- it's
1: there's a there's the because I said so energy behind a lot of the things that she says during the TV series.
0: Right. And it's like the movie the movie adds a new dynamic because she's, she's still compelling Shinji to do it, but she's very self-effacing and she's, she's sort of acknowledging to Shinji that even though, even though she's coaching him on how to be an adult, she acknowledges that in a lot of ways she fucked up her own life and made lots of bad decisions and and lots of, that she indulged a lot of toxic pathologies. Right. And to me, I don't know. I just look at it and I think, It really is the first conversation where Masato takes charge over Shinji, but acknowledges that she doesn't she never really made sense of adulthood either. And that ambivalence and that bad decision making and that um, self-esteem crises, they're not a thing that are just unique to kids like she she was fucked up in her own ways. And the best thing that she can say for herself is that she made she made tough choices And they got her to this this tragic end that she's about to experience. But I don't know, those were her choices and those were her relationships. And at the end of the day, she can own them. I think it's a pretty moment because it's a moment where Masato finally, she owns up to the thing that the series feels like it's largely about, which is the idea that like adulthood is, it's like, on the one hand, a perspective that doesn't necessarily understand children and sometimes fails children that it should be protective of, Mm -hmm. but also acknowledges that, like, yeah, this is the thing that's happening
1: concurrently with, you know, you working out your own shit, which you necessarily haven't done all the way.
0: Right. And it's like Masada was fucked up as a kid and she's also fucked up as an adult. Um, And there is no hard delineation, really, between the stuff that fucked you up as a kid, as Shinji is, and the stuff that fucked you up as an adult, as Masato is.
1: Yeah, uh, you carry it around with you. Um, There aren't any easy fixes to it. There are no, like, full, hard fixes to any of these things. It's stuff that you... It's the the boring work of self-maintenance.
0: Right. Um, But in their very final moment together at the elevator, Masato, mind you, she's given all these... She's given all of these speeches about, like... Maturity and decision making and responsibility, and then she makes a very strange choice to lean into Shinji and kiss him deeply on the mouth, and it's this very strangely romantic moment. it 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 feels like a it feels earned in a way, right? Because this movie's just started killing people; people are getting shot. Um, Shinji's a virgin who can't drive, and so it's like Masato. <laughs> Masato is. Is kissing him, and it's it's shot in this way that feels very cool, but it also just yeah. seems like it's Masato making her last mistake, too. It's just like,
1: I don't know. I, what do you yeah, make of this well, kiss? She, well, she said, she said, I think that, okay, I... Here are the, here's the way that I understood it the first time I watched it. It's just kind of like, Shinji is hysterical. This is a way of calming him down and also kind of a bit of sleight of hand so she can just push him into the elevator and get him up there. Um, Which is, I mean, like, there are also other ways to do that. So it's just kind of like, all right, well, it's a lot like that scene after Rei sacrifices herself and Masato walks into Shinji's room and, you know like makes those weird pronouncements about like this is the only thing i know how to do yeah um and it's yeah it's like it's it's inappropriate because she's just like you know there that's how grown ups kiss when you get back we'll do the rest which right. is like <sighs> i don't really know what to i don't know what to make what do you make of it
0: i think it i think it's a beautiful <laughs> Again, it's sort of sexuality and children and adults in this show are a thorny and complicated intersection. But I love the moment because it 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 is really
1: beautifully shot. Like, it zooms out all the way down the hallway and it's not like a close-up and impassioned thing. It just feels like a goodbye. Yeah, but
0: I also think that even just thematically, right, Masato transitioning into this from, from one moment where she's being the consummate adult and she's being an empathetic adult for once and it seems like she's really saying the right things to Shinji and she's saying it in the right tone of voice to her having this sexualized moment with Shinji I feel like that's Masato's character right? It's that in the end it's just so true to her right? That she's almost there but then she she sort of just regresses back into her old Pathology of sort of not knowing how to relate to other men apart from like her just ha- her having this weird sexual impulsiveness to how she engages with certain kinds of men um and it feels like that's the character again it feels yeah. inappropriate, but it feels like that's the character, um
1: yeah, 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 it does feel true to um it's true the to way the ways in which she's fucked yeah, up we, <laughs> exactly we <We're> had like. <laughs> It's true of the ways that she's fucked up. I guess yes,
0: I, we're dwelling on this because it feels like, and, and part it of the feels thing-
1: like something you're supposed to address because it's a it's a 29 year old woman kissing a 14 year old boy. But right.
0: Like, and it's also like Netflix is adapting or Netflix is re releasing this show, um, in in what feels like a very different time, like for a lot of criticism. And it does feel like if you, especially if you dwell on the sexuality of Ava, there are a lot of things that you could just sort of. Threads you could pull at and be like, well, this is problematic. This character is problematic. But the whole theme of these characters is that they're fucked up problematic people. Um, and the show, I mean, the show is literally about child abuse in a lot of ways. And so it does feel, it again, it feels alienating and it feels kind of, it just feels icky that, oh God, I feel like a fucking child describing this as icky. But you know what I mean, right? It feels yeah. uncomfortable that Masato, who is an adult, French kisses a 14-year-old boy as she's dying, and she then goes on to say, if you survive, I will fuck you. But it also (laughs) feels like that's the character. The point is that these characters are really fucked up people, and the show is, it is in fact tracking the disintegration of their ability to relate in healthy ways to one another. Uh... And the real tragedy is that these people have to go on to save the world somehow regardless. And so, you know, Masato gets that kiss off and then shoves Shinji in the elevator and, and is like, bye, see ya. Um, and Shinji's in the elevator. The elevator descends. It's going further down. And Shinji looks at Masato's cross in his hands and he he sees the blood and he realizes. I think in that moment that there's he There's also
1: blood on his hands yeah. and on his mouth, and he's just like, uh,
0: right, the, on the yeah, the blood on the mouth is yeah. the worst, right? Because like Masato has just deeply kissed him, and then he realizes that there's blood all over his mouth, and in that moment he breaks down crying, you know, ostensibly upon the realization that Masato is gone. So yeah, Shinji makes it down to the catwalk. Earlier, you know, at the beginning of the JSSDF invasion of Nerve HQ, Masato actually flooded the entire headquarters with Bakelite in order to sort of clog up all of the hallways with like molten Bakelite that hardens into uh, this material that clogs up all of the hallways to make it harder for the the soldiers to get anywhere. And what it's done is it's sort of encased Unit 1 in all of this Bakelite. And so Shinji just sort of sits on the catwalk, and he's like, "Well, I can't even get inside the fucking thing." And this whole time, you hear like Asuka is sort of crying out over the radio.
1: Yeah, well, she's she's not like she's not yet crying out. This is like he get what? once he makes his way down to the catwalk, you can hear Asuka over the. Over the intercom, talking about ah, just like idiot Shinji, not to be the there when fuck you fuck is him. idiot Shinji. Yeah, you know, where the fuck is that? Where the fuck is that weenie weenie? Bitch? That's
0: it. <laughs> Think wow. All right, that was extreme. Like,
1: <laughs> that is nah, what she say. She
0: really is sort of like
1: yeah, like it, it. She I mean like it would be like she would be the person that like is on a roll. In terms of like gunning on somebody and then gets to the end and trips at the finish line, yeah, that yeah. that would be Oscar.
0: She is kind of roasting him, but she's doing yeah. it while she's still fighting the Ava series. She's still doing her like somersaults and all that bullshit, and she's she's almost done. She's almost yeah. finished. She's almost disemboweled.
1: She's she's got the like. <laughs> I'm really I'm really I'm glad that you said Mike Tyson energy earlier because. Uh right this the the time is running down and she does this cool maneuver where she kills two of the things at once yes yes oh describing um, it's like she did- yeah so like she like it's a, like she goes for the uppercut and it is so like it just like she pierces the chest of the first one and then goes up into the the jugular of the second and is like crushing the brain from the inside yeah. is the craziest looking it's like shit ever. squeezing
0: it in her last few moments of battery power she is squeezing with all of her might to like
1: Yeah. And yeah, uh right. Uh and then the 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 bout goes past round 4. Um when one of those glaive things comes flying in from It's like broadside. stage left.
0: Yeah, it just comes yeah, out of nowhere. Just, one one of the blades through
1: it. Yeah, it's right, just like right. you have You have no idea where this thing came from. But she throws out the AT field at the last second. And just then the thing like... It like halts in midair. It halts in midair. Right. And then transforms into what looks like the Spear of Longinus.
0: Yeah. It's gray though. It's not the real one because it is smaller than the Lance of Longinus and it's gray. But you get the sense that it's sort of it, this thing is basically like the Lancelanginus. It's sort of transformed into the exact same shape.
1: Yeah, which we don't really know what it is.
0: We still don't know what it is. They're never going to tell we, us what the they're is. They're never
1: going to tell us what it is. Uh. Um, <laughs> or how they were able to create, like, you There's know, some wikis
0: dedicated to it, okay? Yeah, if you want to get into yeah, some nerd There's some
1: wikis dedicated to it. But anyway, right. About goes past round four. Asuka gets laid on her back well actually it's more appropriate to say that she gets speared through the
0: eye yeah it's like the thing transforms the Lance Longinus. it just sort of very slow it rips through the AT field and then Asuka is just wide eyed and she's like uh and the Lance pierces Unit 2's head it it not only it doesn't just impale her it sort of crucifies her right cause the it's like it goes through her head and then it falls down to the ground and so is just sort of stuck in the ground, right? She's sort of plugged into the ground with the spear lodged through her eye. And in the cockpit, at this point, the battery's dead. It, Asuka's in the cockpit. She can't move the Ava. She's sort of pulling at the controls. And you see this very dark shot of blood just pouring out of her eye into her lap. And I, I think a lot about in the first episode of the TV show, you'll remember that The first angel that we see, right? Shinji Ikari has to get out there and...
1: there's Yeah, I know what you're talking about. The one where, like, Sashio just lifts Unit 1 off of its feet and snaps Shinji's arm like a twig.
0: Yeah, and Ritsuko, that's the moment where Ritsuko has to explain the difference between what's happening to the Ava versus what's happening to Shinji. And in that moment, you know, Ritsuko's like, don't worry, Shinji. It broke the it broke the Ava's arm, but that's not your real arm. But in this moment, the spear has impaled Asuka's head, and you see actual blood pouring out of Asuka's face. And I think in that, I think that's really supposed to, I feel like that's supposed to reflect the idea that Asuka by reconnecting with her mom and the Ava, it's like she's so perfectly synced with her Ava during the battle until this moment that she sort of transcends that rule. And the stuff that's happening to the Ava unit is in fact happening to her body in this moment.
1: Yeah, okay. That's I was, my interpretation. I I'm, I don't that know. You, I'm like, it's, that is a better interpretation of than than mine, which was just to be like, damn, I guess like the show just kind of got bored of its rules.
0: Yeah. Which or was, the, which or which that Rizko is a liar, which is probably yeah, also.
1: Which is also fake science. Risco, <laughs> fucking fake science again. <sighs> My understanding of it was that the show just got bored of its rules again, which I mean, like wouldn't exactly be completely, you know, it wouldn't be that far fetched.
0: Ain't no rule B. Anyway, like,
1: yeah, ain't no rule B. But yeah, the, the the I think that you your understanding of it is at least I like that one better. I like that better.
0: Um and it's it's like a very sad moment where it's like, Asuka can't get the Ava to move because the batteries run out. And you have Buki, Huga, and Aoba sort of watching from the command center, and they're just like, fuck, it can't move. And then they realize that all of the disemboweled Ava units that Asuka just defeated are reactivating. And so you see this these slow shots of all of them sort of picking themselves up from the dirt. Even if they're missing like legs and shit, <laughs> they're just like misfit and, toys. Just
1: uh, yeah, and then they 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 sprout their wings and begin to circle like buzzards, and then they descend upon Unit Two and begin picking out its innards. It's yeah. very uh very Prometheus type image going on, and I mean like well the thing is that like to to poke some holes in your earlier. Thing that I that I decided that I liked. Uh, while this is happening, she just she's gripping her her stomach and her eye, but she's not like th- there aren't any obvious wounds on like right. her abdomen, even though the the Ava series is picking at it.
0: She's just gasping and making a lot of just pained sounds, but otherwise, yeah, it's like her body is intact. But then to contradict your contradiction. I should say, <laughs> sort of like the the Ava units, they they disembowel Unit 2. Unit 2 is just, all of its, it's insides are outside it
1: now. It's fucked up. Yeah. Uh, all of
0: its organs are outside of its body now. And the Ava units leave, they, they ascend to the sky together, and Asuka has this moment where she is just, in this very pained way, reaching up to the sky, and she's saying, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, I'll kill you. And... In that moment, there's like a shot on her arm inside the cockpit, and her arm splits in half. And you see quickly that the Ava unit, or the Ava units have all thrown down their replica lances, their blades, and just stab them. So it's basically like, Unit 2 is already defeated, and yet the Ava units throw down all of their spears to, to finish the job. And one of them splits Unit Two's hand and uh, arm in half. So I think, yeah, I think that's that's consistent with my theory, Micah. The fact that Unit Two's arm being split in half also splits Asuka's arm in half.
1: But Yeah. It's also like that the Unit Two is is going berserk in that moment, which is usually like they you come to understand that like berserk is means just that the pilot and the Ava are in sync. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, we are the
0: same page. Now I got this. That's what the Ava is saying <laughs> when it goes berserk. While Asuka had been fighting the EVA units, she had been, you know, she'd been over the intercom all throughout Nerve HQ, shouting, psyching herself up. And this turns to screaming on Asuka's part. This turns to her saying, I'll kill you, I'll kill you, before she is presumably killed by the EVA series. And after all of that, we see Shinji. And all Shinji can hear as he's cowering on the catwalk is Ibuki just sobbing. She's screaming and sobbing. She's calling out for Asuka. Asuka's non-responsive. Asuka is defeated. And in this moment, there's some rumbling. And Ava Unit 1, across from Shinji Ikari, breaks free from the Bakelite. And it sort of, it seems to be beckoning him, right? I'm trying to remember the scene specifically, Micah, but it's...
1: It breaks free from the light and 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 basically grabs around him. Like, right. or, like grabs the catwalk around him.
0: Yeah. It, yeah, it's almost like you don't want to say, boy, if you don't get inside well, the not If you <laughs> don't
1: get your ass up in Get your ass up in here. Listen, Jesus die. himself is going to have to Lord. come down off the cross and save you.
0: Right, and it's like, right, (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) But we've already seen in Unit 2, Asuka's mother sort of be like, listen, we got to do this, Asuka. And now it seems like we have Unit 1 engaging Shinji in the same way. And so Shinji finally, I think, regretfully boards Unit 1. And he's ascending. He's ascending above the geo front. He's looking out over the geo front. This whole time he's been in Nerve HQ, he's been hiding. And so he's in Unit One, like a fucking getting, coward, yeah, he he finally is looking out, and he's he's looking over the carnage from Asuka's fight with the military and with the Ava units. And Shinji sees Ava Unit Two's corpse. And like you said, we like Ava Unit Two has been disembowelled. Its face has been eaten off. You just see all of this skull and skin, and it's disgusting. And you have this moment where Shinji looks out over the corpse of Unit 2 and realizes what, what has happened to Asuka. And he just screams. And it's sort of, the, the camera pulls away from him hard. And there's all this, this stormy wind around him. But he just lets out the most prolonged screen that Evan Campbell, our producer, I promise I'm not going to scream into the mic. I'm not going to fuck up the audio. But...
1: Just just suffice it to say that it sounds like six tone deaf cats uh in a high speed blender. It's like yeah. you it it is it's you know you've emphasis you've,
0: on in a blender. You've emphasis heard it on the in a blender, part. you've
1: yeah. you've <laughs> brought you heard it before. The scream you know and love from him jabbing the, 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 the big lobster tentacle monster <laughs> with the progressive knife. Um, um and other similar psychotic breaks. The yeah, Shinji but this is his loudest. Hits. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's his loudest scream to date. And we're at this point. It's it's like we went from Shinji being crazed. It's like Shinji being too crazed to move to now Shinji feeling crazed, but in a very different, more vivid way. Um, and we just we don't know what Shinji's gonna do in Eva Unit One at this point. Um. We quickly catch up with Gendo. And Gendo at this point has met up with Ray. Um, Ray is naked at this point, and Gendo is leading Gendo's leading Ray around terminal dogma, and you get the sense that Gendo is ready to begin instrumentality.
1: When Gendo and uh Ray get down to, you know, terminal, terminal dogma, uh mm-hmm. Ritsko is already there, just like, you know, with her feet dangling in the LCL or whatever.
0: Yeah, Ritsuko and her fucking because she she thinks she's very clever in this moment, right? Like we, you know, the sort of in game for her character is she feels betrayed by Gendo, she feels like she's been replaced by Rei, and so Ritsuko confronts Gendo and Rei in Terminal Dogma, and she has this very suicidal glare, and she's just like, "I'm gonna take all of us out, motherfucker! Like you're not doing, you're not initiating shit." <laughs> and so she has she has the sort of Palm pilot in her pocket. Well, yeah, she's got like the she's
1: she's got a key fob in her pocket. Yeah, yeah, and, she's... and a snub nose in the other.
0: Yeah, she got she she's ready to go. She's got the gun. She's got the Magi System console in her pocket, and she grabs at the console. And she it looks like she thinks she's she's hitting some sort of self destruct <laughs> mechanism, and then it does. She sort of pauses for a moment. And she's waiting for a reaction. She gasps and she looks down and she realizes that her mother's supercomputer has rejected her. One of the three supercomputer processors has declined her self destruct order. Ritsuko is taken aback. And in that moment, Gendo raises his piece. And Gendo's like, I hate it had to be you. <laughs> I hate it had to be you, Ritsuko Akagi.
1: Yeah, he he ups the piece, turns Ritsuko into some jam, you know? But, but But before he says that, he says...
0: Ritsuko Akagi, the truth is... It's different depending on the translation. I know in the original English translation, he says, Ritsuko Akagi, the truth is... And then you don't hear the rest of the sentence. And then Ritsuko just says, liar. She calls him a liar. Gendo pulls the trigger, and then Ritsuko just flies into the LCL, and she's dead. My least favorite character on this show is dead. Um, she had awful motivations. She really didn't need to trip so hard about Gendo. Gendo sucks. Uh, you could have found other people. As we'll learn later in this movie, "Other people loved you. <laughs> Please Other keep people going. had a romantic. you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you deserve to be loved even though you were a fake scientist who arguably hated children. (laughs) (laughs) Bow! (laughs) Oh, man. So if you remember the embryo that Kaji, Ryoi Kaji, delivered to Nerve earlier in the series, Gendo has basically grafted the embryo into his hand, right? So he'd always been hiding at him in his hand by wearing those white gloves that he wears. He finally takes the gloves off, and he's like, listen, Ray, I need you to lower your AT field. We're going to merge together. We're going to start Third Impact. And you get the sense that this is the moment for which Ray is designed, for which Ray was built, and for which Gendo had been plotting against Sele all of this time, right? to begin h- instrumentality, but sort of on his own terms. I don't know. Instrumentality gets a little confusing in this movie um, in <laughs> it, terms of the difference between what Sele wants to achieve through instrumentality versus what Nerve wants to achieve through instrumentality. What is your best read on this, Micah?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Uh. So what Sele seems to want or what Saley's has- Say- understanding of instrumentality seems to be, we should all of us, brothers and sisters return to the primordial soup of the before four time. And Gendo is like, I think that we should, I, I don't know. Like, He's just like,
0: I <laughs> just want to wife- see my, wife. my <laughs> wife. I just want to see my wife.
1: Exactly. He's <laughs> just like, my wife,
0: my wife. I just want to see my wife.
1: Gindo just wants to see his wife man um, um, but yeah he's a wife guy he's a wife guy
0: I'm not the first person to observe this Gindo
1: Rokabungi wife is guy He's a wife
0: guy fucking wife guy it's always the wife guy he's such um, a wife
1: guy that he took on her last name
0: Ray at this point is flying and shit she's like floating she's got Adam in her womb cause she I mean she, her womb basically bit off Gendo's hand
1: She's, She's rising, rising up. up through the floors of the facility, just yeah. kind of phasing through shit, you know? And she
0: is in front of Lilith on the cross. And they have this weird moment where it feels like Lilith is talking, but through text on the screen. And Ray is like, I'm home. And Lilith is like, Welcome home. And you just see Lilith suck Ray into Lilith's chest. And part of what happens here is like, Lilith has a sort of fucked up torso situation, I think because it had been impaled by the Lance of Longinus at one point, and it's in captivity. But once Adam is conjoined by way of Ray into Lilith, it, it like sprouts normal ass legs so it can finally walk, and it pulls itself from the nails on the cross. And there's a point where like, it pulls itself off the cross, and Lilith this whole time has had this pur- purple seven-eyed mask on, and it sort of Bends down to the LCL, and the mask just falls off of Lilith's face very slowly, sort of like if glue were just sort of not holding something on anymore. And you you see Lilith take—it's like Lilith's head takes the shape of Ray's head, uh, and so it just looks like a giant Ray now. You just yeah. got a giant <laughs> marshmallow Ray. It's beautiful. (laughs) And it's sort of already big, but then it starts, like, Ray Lilith starts ascending through HQ. And there's, like, the one comedic beat in the movie is, like, it actually the, her, sends through the command center.
1: Her hand like <laughs> goes up through Ibuki on the way out of the like on the on the way out of the geofront. And mind you,
0: Ibuki's been through a lot in this but Ibuki's She's seen Asuka a, die. She, she's she, like figured out how to she, use a gun.
1: She's seen Asuka die. I mean, like, goes nowhere to be found. She's got like it, yeah. she's got grenades going off all over the place and gunfire hailing down everywhere and then after that she gets just phased through by this giant metaphysical being
0: right and she just screams she does a shinji scream basically she's like what the fuck is this <laughs> um but yeah ray lilith ascends through the command center and it it just it keeps growing in size until you realize that you're outside and it's sort of you just have this massive white Lilith that is that is the largest creature, certainly, that has appeared in this show. And it's surrounded by clouds. It's surrounded by the Ava units that defeated um, Asuka, right? And, and the Ava units have all recovered those spears that they otherwise impaled Asuka with. And so, yeah, that's the basic confrontation. You have this giant version of Rey standing in the clouds, standing sort of, it's standing athwart a floating Unit 1, right? Mm -hmm. And Unit 1 is in a strange state because it's floating and Shinji's in the cockpit, but he's kind of like, he's not together.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, okay, so I guess we should say that Sale by this point has begun the ritual. So yeah, right. Like, Salee is, is doing some Catholic shit. Yeah. Now, they're doing a some, ceremony. Yeah. They're doing they, some they're doing some wild Catholic shit right now. Like
0: Anton and Scalia, I think that this one point they just cut to Anton and Scalia and he's doing like a weird ritual. He's leading this this weird ritual. And you you sort of it's it's so it's weird to explain, but it's basically a crucifixion. Um because at one point in this sequence, right, by some means, Unit 1 sort of unconsciously summons the lance of the real Lance of Longinus from the moon. So remember before, the problem was that Wraith threw that shit into space to defeat the one angel, and they couldn't get it back. Well, the Lance of Longinus just sort of returns very, very abruptly from space. It stops at at Unit 1's throat. And it's hard to describe what the, the mass-produced AVA units are doing at this point. But they're basically leading this like crucifixion ritual,
1: right? So the Ava series is in formation. They've they've clamped down on Unit One's wings and limbs and splayed him out in this kind of crucifix style thing. But Shinji's resisting, starting. Uh, he's, I scared! Guess, he's, he's scared. scared he's scared. He's scared. He's scared. And like Lilith is kind of approaching and being rebuffed this entire time, I think that it's kind of like, it's kind of like they're trying, they're attempting to coax the, the the spear of Longinus into Unit 1's, like, chest plate cavity thing. Right, Uh, and specifically, Lilith
0: is like, this is Ray. It's just Ray. It's just a giant Ray. You like Ray, don't you? It's Ray, <laughs> but come
1: on, it's game. I, mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's yeah, but anyway, like it's, it's so this isn't working. <laughs> right? right. Um Shinji is rejecting the shit out of this. And then so then Lilith takes on the form of Kaoru. and it's just kind of like, Hey Hey, Shinji, Shinji, I haven't seen you in a while. Shinji, I haven't seen you in a minute.
0: And What's then that's on, the moment man. where, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, he, and he's just like, oh, Kaoru, there you are. Oh, my God. Some crazy shit was happening, man. Like, people's faces are melting, and, like, there's some crazy explosions happening, but I'm so glad you're here. Can you hug me, please?
0: Yeah, he's, like, crying and, and smiling. It's the only yeah. time Shinji smiles in this movie is with Kaoru, when giant Kaoru. Sh- and it's funny, because Rey doesn't disappear. It's just now Lilith is split into two different people, and so Ray is kind of hanging out of giant Kaoru's back. It's very, it's some uncanny shit. It's gross, shit. man. It's, it's weird. Fu- uh, wow, this movie. This movie should be banned. Um, <laughs> you quickly realize that basically the Lance of Longinus merging with Unit 1 in this moment where Unit 1 is confronting Lilith, it's sort of, Unit 1 has become the tree of life. That is basically what's happening. It's sort of.
1: Yeah, through a lot of like light displays and you know like flight patterns and some some crazy trippy psychedelic visual stuff. uh, Yeah, Unit One becomes the Tree of Life um, is 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 basically it's more or less what happens.
0: Uh, Although they also refer to it as an arc at one point, but you're meant to you're meant to understand that Sele in this moment sees Unit One as the sort of the bridge between the world as we know it and instrumentality. And what we come to realize is that Shinji as the pilot of unit one, right? So the pilot of unit one who is caught alone in the tree of life, that Shinji is the person who has to mediate humanity's sort of acquiescence to instrumentality. Um, And it takes a moment to get there because Shinji you know before we understand what's happening in the natural world we're we spend some time in Shinji's brain and he's he's having some hallucinations he's he's actually thinking back to the childhood there's um there's a scene where there's like an accordion playing the itsy bitsy spider and Shinji is on a playground but he's on a playground alone and he's building a sand pyramid that looks like the geofront actually and he he sort of like destroys the sand pyramid and rebuilds it and he destroys it again. And then you spend some time on the the dream train that we've all come to know and love. You have another scene where doesn't Shinji watch Masato and Kaji have sex?
1: He's having he's he's watching Masato and Kaji have sex in what looks like their first apartment. And he is got a very judgmental look on his face about it. Um. Meanwhile, there is a voiceover from Masato basically talking about, yeah, this is part of learning the truth about people or, you know, the truth brings pain.
0: And I mean, at this point in the series, we've established that one of Shinji's main problems is that he just doesn't know how to deal with pain Um, or not even physical pain, but he just doesn't know how to deal with the pain of. Knowing of, of learning, sort of the limits of his knowledge of other people, and and learning about other people's imperfections, and yeah, the scene where he watches Masato and Kaji has have sex, he just feels kind of like an incel, honestly, in this moment. He's just sort yeah, of like, it's not you know, tight. and that's what that's the
1: energy He is mad
0: in- <laughs> incel energy in this moment.
1: He does have mad incel energy in this moment because he's just like you know, I can't believe this is. You know what is that? She he's look he's looking on this scene the same way that he would m- like Masato over the breakfast table, and she's drinking beer instead of drinking coffee, and she farted herself awake, and like there's p- mountains of laundry in her room, and he's just like, <laughs> yeah, well, there's yeah. no reason for you to be living like this is how, it's, it's very much like, damn, you're really living like this, but a more extreme version of that,
0: right? And it also feels like it's addressing that this scene in the TV show where Masato in this very ambiguous moment grabs Shinji's hand and Shinji rejects her and she's sort of wondering whether it, is Shinji afraid of women or is he afraid of all people and this this feels like a similar moment where it's like is Shinji just disgusted with Masato because he's basically just he just doesn't he can't process other people in general or is this again specifically like a kid who Throughout this series, has never really been able to help. Like he's never processed attraction to a woman or a man in a healthy way. Like he he definitely processes Karu differently than he processes Asuka, but I think both of those relationships just feel like they're very stunted. And I don't know. It's weird because it's never really fully art. There's never a scene in the TV show where Shinji's like. I like girls, but I don't know what to do. Right? It's always just subtext. It's
1: always Shinji rejecting Masao. It's and then him skipping straight to, like, a determined stance on it. Like, the whole thing about, like, the way that she lives is so embarrassing. To the point where Kinsuke has to be like, listen, you get to see her as she really is. Like, that's a privilege. Right. Um... Yeah, it definitely is. Like a, he does. He, he, you're right. He doesn't process his attractions or relationships to other characters in the show well at all, which is, I guess, the entire crux of of, of Evangelion. Right.
0: And so we end up in this very, very distinct sequence where Shinji and Asuka are together in Masato's apartment, and they are. I don't know. Asuka is in a bad mood and she's at the kitchen table and she just doesn't want to talk. And meanwhile, Shinji is sort of hounding her and Shinji is is just
1: yelling, not yelling at Asuka. Well, no, she, it's more so pleading, like he's right? pleading. He's declaring his feelings in the most defined way. He has at any other point of the series, which is how you know this isn't reality. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, totally. Um, totally. And even then, he's not even
1: declaring... it's he's declaring
0: something. I, he, there's no point where he says, Asuka, I love you. There's no he, point he where he says, says the closest need you.
1: he gets, the closest he gets is you're the only one for me. Right. He's um, not even
0: expressing emotion. I think that's what's so odd about
1: this scene it's like it just feels like I need to like I need to possess you it's not like I need to like it's not like I want to be with you it's like I need to have you like
0: around right And yeah I think this in this moment specifically Ava Really feels like the worst love story ever told, where it's like, instead of it being this romantic tale of maybe, you know, these two characters who, oh, man, he drives me nuts. Oh, man, I'll never understand her. And they end up together in the end. It was the opposite. It's like these two characters who, it's like they feel like they have a pretty sensible teenage attraction, but then it just is processed in the most violent, like... Regressive ways, ways. yeah, yeah it, and, it, and 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 it's not even really again. It's like the fact that Shinji, it's not this isn't a moment where he finally says I love you or I even I like you. It's a moment where he finally says, "Listen, I need you because I'm not a stable person and I don't have anyone else." It feels so anti romantic, yeah. and Shinji gets like halfway through his plea before Asuka gets up from the table. She shoves the chair off. And she's like, fuck you, buddy.
1: Yeah. Fuck it's you. Like, it's you don't she's...
0: know me. You don't know anybody. You fucking don't know how to interact with other people. You're fucking selfish. We all have shit going on. You're not trying to understand anybody. You will cling to anybody. You will cling to anybody at this point. And the only reason you want me is because I'm the only person left. And she shoves him to the floor. She knocks a coffee pot over. So Shinji is just on the floor. Uh, you left out the,
1: the the best beat is that like after she shoves him over onto the ground and into the coffee, and he just like starts to whimper. She's just like pathetic. He gets up and he's not talking. He gets up. And he's, there's there's coffee all over. He's got coffee all in his shirt, and he's not talking. And then he just explodes. Grabs a chair. Starts flipping the table over. Talking about don't abandon me. Help me. Love me. Don't kill me and Asuka's simple retort is just a quiet no. And then several wordless seconds, and Shinji explodes again, this time by strangling Asuka. I mean, like, picks her clean up off of her feet, which is... he
0: lunges and is just...
1: It is, which again is, (laughs) like, how you know that... Like, and it's very, like, a... It puts a a fine point on this not being reality because immediately, this is like an extremely violent and uncomfortable sequence like scored by really... Even in an uncomfortably
0: violent movie, it's an uncomfortably violent
1: sequence. And it is like in the background is like this pleasant, like Tom Scott music is playing.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Sister Todd begins to play. (laughs) Uh, I believe that will be the music that plays the beginning of this episode of Sound Only, actually, but... Um, you sort of have this, this meta discourse happening uh as the camera sort of zooms out from this moment where you hear Ray, and Ray Ray and Shinji are speaking as a lot of images are flashing on screen. And Ray is just like, Man, your life is fucked up, bro. Like, do you are you sure this is why you want this to be? I don't know. It's like it's hard to summarize the way instrumentality is sort of described by the characters in the movie it's very different from how the characters or the hallucinations of the characters discuss instrumentality in the television show. But in this moment, which marks the beginning of instrumentality and the beginning of third impact, you know, Ray and Shinji are just sort of, they're coming to an understanding about Shinji's fear of other people. Um, And Shinji sort of concludes that, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do with other people and I don't really feel like I belong anywhere. And I feel like the world is filled with pain. And man, it would be super nice if we could all melt into yellow pea liquid and never experience pain or alienation ever again. And and that sort of marks that Shinji choosing to initiate instrumentality, the instrumentality of mankind by way of third impact. At this point, the giant Ray Lilith has summoned the Black Moon. So, the Black Moon is this structure that's like buried beneath the geo front. And you're meant to understand that it is an ancient formation. And it is sort of mm, basically humanity, you know, some people believe that humanity began in Ethiopia, but Evangelion believes that mankind originated in the Black Moon. And so at the beginning of Third Impact, you basically have Ray Lilith summoning this this dark moon-sized formation into space over the Earth. And then you have Ray Lilith herself becoming so large that she becomes this this space being um, who's plugged into the Earth. And she's basically channeling all of humanity's souls into the Black Moon. Um, And that's sort of... Man, how would we describe this mega? It's sort of like humanity migrating back to the black moon by way of ray requires all of humanity to be transformed into LCL. So basically, you're going to break down the AT fields of all of the people who are separated by their skin and their bones and their their unknowable psych- psychological differences and they're just they're, transformed they're, they're into soggy LCL. flesh
1: prisons yeah it's like it's it's very like uh, it's yeah it's very any basically if you've ever seen like a cult introduced in a sitcom like it, it is it's it's basically where they have that kind of thin sliced explanation where it's like they have the same beats of we're all gonna dress the same and then we're gonna commit suicide together and be one but on the way we're gonna be celibate it's like one of those some SoundCloud shit. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but it's all of the humans, right? Before they can be turned into LCL, um, in order to to enter to re enter the black moon from which humanity uh emerged, they have to go through kind of what Shinji did, right? So, so like Shinji saw Kaoru and that was how Shinji became comfortable with the idea of regressing. And, and initiating third impact. And all of all of humanity, it, it sort of suggested that in their final moments, they they let down their AT fields because Ray appears to them as the person that they love the most. So Hugo sees Masato, Uh Ayoba doesn't see anybody because he's like cowering under his desk and trying to crawl away from Ray. <laughs> so so Aoba just dies. He just explodes into orange liquid <laughs> without seeing anybody. Um and Abuki has this really beautiful ecstatic moment where she sees ritsuko uh comforting her in her last moment of panic and she has this really beautiful moment where she cries out ritsuko 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 and then she explodes (laughs) she's dead Uh, and you have fiyutsuki who sees yui akari and in his final moment fiyutsuki wonders whether gendo also got to see yui again and then we see Gendo, and Gendo sees a lot of people in his final moments. He sees, um, he's talking with Yui. The first person Gendo sees in, in Terminal Dogma is Yui. And mind you, at this point, Gendo's fucked up. He doesn't have a hand anymore. <laughs> he clearly, yeah. like, lost the plot a little bit. And Yui's like, yeah, man, how you, f- you fucked up my... W-. Basically, you're meant to understand that Gendo just extremely misinterpreted Yui Akari's will. In his execution of the instrumentality project. Or is that your... I don't know. Do you disagree, Micah?
1: The way that I read the situation was that Gendo is kind of in that weird, blissed-out, like, well, damn, this is just how things are now, I guess, state. Um, And he is visited by Yui, and he does say that, like... (laughs) Really, it doesn't really matter what is happening to him in this moment. I really only wanted the satisfaction of knowing what the fuck he was thinking this entire time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which
1: was that, like, you know, oh, I, I don't, I don't deserve to experience or, f- you know, like to feel love. Um, right. Which is, it's like I stayed away from Shinji because I only cause him pain. And you was just like, well, nah, you stayed away from Shinji because you were afraid of him. Yeah. Um, it's like you weren't
0: afraid of causing pain. You were afraid of being hurt yourself.
1: Exactly. Um, exactly.
0: And it's just this moment is, is... This moment feels really great because it's... You know, plot-wise, the show has been working up to Gendo Akari being reunited with Yui Akari. But the moment when it happens, Yui is like, this ain't it, chief. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real this ain't it, chief moment. And then Gendo also says... <laughs> <laughs> Gendo sees all the all the, uh, the the Ray, the baby Ray the second Ray and the third Ray and they all in unison are also like this ain't it chief and Karu Karu appears before him and he's like yes this really was not it chief and then, <laughs> and then Gendo is just in Unit 1's hand and Gendo is like I fucked up
1: uh, and then yeah Unit me. 1
0: uh, bites his head off bites
1: his head off
0: Gendo ends on this moment of profound regret instead of Realizing that he fucked up, and that everything he's done up to this point was absolutely inconsistent with Yui Akari's will to protect her son, so Gendo's head gets bitten off, and everybody's not dead, but everyone is orange Kool Aid, right?
1: It's just like you know, it's a it's an ocean of orange sea all around the world, right? It's like the final moment of like
0: inst- the third impact happening is all of the um. Ava units in in space at this point around Ray impale themselves with their replica lances of Longinus. And then, yeah, you, you understand at this point that unit one is sort of incorporated into Ray and all of humanity has become one inside of the black moon. And so now all that's really left is Shinji. It's sort of like instrumentality, I guess, technically is the obliteration of different, consciousness it's just a singular consciousness but because shinji's our protagonist we sort of understand all of instrumentality through his perspective and in instrumentality he's just sort of i don't know he's sort of free associating about like what humanity used to be like and he's having all of these live action shots of people sitting in movie theaters together and crowded streets um He's dreaming. It just feels like a dream. It feels like a a plotless dream about how lit humanity used to be.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like returning to to some simpler earlier time before, you know, first or second impact or whatever. Like, it is like a fanciful idea of how we could be to each other, how we could exist. Um, it's that Marianne Williamson shit. Is it Mar- is that Marianne Williamson shit.
0: It's just like people, it's 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 weird, because once they get into instrumentality again, the ideal, it, I think throughout the series, you're supposed to understand instrumentality ideally as a world where, sure, maybe individuality isn't a thing anymore, but people don't feel pain. Right, they have no sense of why being an individual would even be desirable because everyone just lives in a vague
1: bliss. It is it's just like one massive wholesale trade-off of uh freedom for security. Right.
0: And but all you know, just sort of in terms of what the viewer is seeing, it appears as if Shinji can only keep thinking about individualized humanity he keeps thinking about the crowded spaces the movie theaters the streets um and there's a point at which he 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 starts speaking and you realize he's he's just dissatisfied with, with what instrumentality feels like and he he realizes that the bliss that he's created is it's inauthentic to him it's fake and there's sort of there's a point where ray interrupts and says, the only place you can find happiness is inside dreams, isn't it? And Shinji says, so that's why this isn't reality. It's a world devoid of people. That's why I'm here. And Ray says, you made a convenient fantasy to take revenge against reality. And I, I think back to the scene, it's like in the middle of the TV series, one of the first times you ever see Fiyutsuki and Gendo disagree about the state of the world after Second Impact And Gendo is sort of reveling in the idea of like, oh, you know, Antarctica's really fucked up, but it's a pure place because there are no humans who live here and it represents this ideal state. And Fiuski's like, you know,
1: I I prefer a world inhabited by man, even if they are sinful. Yeah,
0: that world devoid of people is the world that is kind of it feels like what Sele and Gendo we're kind of aspiring toward, right? In their competing versions of instrumentality. But once Shinji gets to that world, he's just like, this, is, this feels fake, and it, it just feels unsatisfying.
1: Yeah, he's just like, I'm, yeah. Shinji's like, I'm not rocking with this. Um, right. I, this doesn't feel like what I want is what he says.
0: Right. And so you start to see some first hints that maybe there will be a change of heart here because you cut from all of these very ambiguous live action shots to um, Shinji and Ray, and they're naked and it's sort of, they're naked and Shinji is at one point lying in Rei's lap. And it's it's not sexualized, I would say. It actually feels very like mother and son. It actually finally feels like the mother, like, true mother-son dynamic between Shinji and Rei. And you sort of understand, finally, that Rei is the embodiment of Yui Akari, And Rei is kind of talking Shinji down a bit and saying, like, yeah, you know? Like, this isn't lit. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you want to maybe... <laughs> you want to maybe wish humanity back into existence? I don't know. Um, and Shinji's just talking through all the ways in which, like... He understands pain differently and he understands, uh, I don't know, It, it feels like he has a new perspective on human interaction. Even though he clearly struggles with human interaction, it's sort of like instrumentality forces him to reckon with how unsatisfying and how bland life would be if you just obliterated all of the awkward tensions and all of the awkward differentiations that make human interaction
1: hard. I think a simpler way to understand it is that, like, remember in the final episode of the television series, um, where it feels like, you know, okay, this is a group therapy session and you are all helping me reach my breakthrough and it's, like, good and it's, like, a feeling of acceptance. The end of Evangelion is largely about processing rejection and, like, being able to understand that it's not the end of the world, literally. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you get rejected.
0: It's, what I think is great about this sequence, right, it's sort of you have Ray and Shinji talking alone for a bit, and then at one point, Kaoru appears, and he starts to chime in, and he starts to reassure Shinji about what it would mean to bring humanity back. And I feel like this part of the movie sort of very indirectly reflects back on the TV episode where Karu is introduced and it's it feels like it's implicitly reflecting back on the relationship that Karu and Shinji struck up in that episode and Karu and Rei are kind of saying that relationship was a little fake right cuz a lot of what Karu says in instrumentality in the movie is him being like you know real relationships are about there being miscommunications and barriers between humans and they're about discomfort and they're about all of these really ugly things and sometimes human relationships fail and they cause pain and that's why you that's why you implemented instrumentality in the first place is cuz you wanted to escape that stuff but realistically like The thing that makes human relationships worthwhile is the fact that they're difficult and the fact that we overcome all of these difficult... The fact that we overcome all of these difficulties to relate to one another. And the relationship that Shinji and Kaoru had in the TV episode is not that at all. It's sort of... It actually more so mirrors this fake instrumentality world where, like, Shinji is the object of bliss and love and he doesn't have to do any work. Yeah, he just yeah. like I I think I described him in that episode. He's like a guy in a massage parlor, and it's why I <laughs> exactly. always think it's weird when people when people romanticize the Kao Shinji relationship in Ava. I, I feel like the movie is is reveling in all the ways in which that relationship was fake and one sided and toxic, and not really what human relationships are are ideally about even though Shinji clearly felt good in the one episode that he and Karu shared together. Because he felt good, but he also didn't have to be vulnerable to Kauru. He didn't even really ask Karu very much about himself. He wasn't very interested in Kauru. It was a very like self-obsessive relationship. And I think this point in the movie is where Shinji is engaging with the idea that individuality means that people hurt each other and that's just how it goes and it sucks but the alternative is a world in which you're dead yeah yeah
1: exactly well yeah yeah. Uh, uh, worse than dead you are sentient but unable to differentiate yourself from anything yeah you're an Um,
0: undifferentiated nothingness Um, yeah and it almost these last few scenes in instrumentality almost feel like a there's a moment for instance when Shinji shakes Ray's hand and it feels like is giving a lot of it almost feels like Kauru's kind of reading a terms of service agreement to Shinji where he's like yeah. are you sure you want to undo instrumentality
1: <laughs> yeah it's just like <laughs> you have to scroll all the way all the way <laughs> yeah. to the bottom before yeah. you can click agree and um, Shinji's just, just like to, no I agree like nah, yeah. you know it's fine it's you fine. know it's because I mean like at, at, at this stage in instrumentality Ray is like on top of Shinji and like fusing into his body yeah, and it feels like you know. It's like this is this is the last, um, this is like the last stage before. Because I mean, like, there's the the voiceover at the beginning, uh, which is Yui's, is talking about how Ray is a perfect reflection of Shinji's desires in this space. So yeah. it's just kind of like I am no longer. There's not a, there aren't the decisions to be made in my conscience that's processing them. We are about to become one and not make any decisions anymore forever. And then Shinji's just like, ah, let's just shake and let's go shake. our separate ways. Yeah.
0: And so in the final in the final moment of instrumentality, basically the way that instrumentality unraveling looks like is the giant. So you have the giant ray, Lilith in space. And it's <laughs> basically it's sort of a tear emerges in its neck and its head falls off. And so basically you have like this giant smiling ray. But her head rips off from her body and starts falling slowly toward the earth. And there's another moment where Unit One bursts out of Ray's eye, <laughs> and then you—it's just like a lot of shit. You have the Ava units are at this point. I think the Ava units are pulling the Lance of Longinus replicas through their own chests. You got the Black Moon is sort of leaking all of the all of the the human souls that were in sort of fused into it back onto the earth. Um, so it's like the moon is spilling all of the LCL back onto planet earth.
1: And also like, there's just like red firefly souls just dancing up in the purple sky. It's a very strange scene. And it's um, all
0: enhanced. I should say and the MVP of this series really is Shiro Segisu, who is the composer for Ava. Um, I think, I think his music, throughout the television series is beautiful but i think the just the score for this movie is so cathartic and brilliant and yeah i even more so than any of the the strange visual elements i just think that the the musical score really carries a lot of the instrumentality sequences but to make a long story short about all of this imagery everything comes tumbling back to earth so you have rays giant rays head just fall to the earth um you have you have LCL everywhere. You have basically like a sea of LCL um, because it's sort of like instrumentality is being undone. But it's not like like humans don't just sort of pick back up where they left off and they're all dressed and they're headed off to work. So sort of, it's maybe going to take a moment for everybody to to. Well,
1: you don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah, actually, you just actually, see that there's like, a mess
0: being made. Yeah, right? It's there's
1: just, a there's there's a giant mess, and you are. I think that. Like by the time like the, the the movie is over by the time instrumentality is over, you're not exactly sure, but you're definitely sure that the world is is a weirder and worse for wear than when the movie started, yeah, it's so
0: funny but, that the show starts as a post apocalyptic show, and the movie ends as a post post apocalyptic show <laughs> or as a you know what I mean it's sort of you get the sense that because Shinji undoes instrumentality that Humanity will persist beyond the events depicted in this movie, but everything is just so like third. Pa- third impact has fucked up everything even further than second impact did, and yeah, I think there's a weird clash between our the- pets.
1: Heads are falling off. Yeah, yeah. Pet- it, it is. It is basically yeah. Everything is. Everything is visibly fucked in right. in this
0: moment. That's the clash in the movie though is that everything looks worse than it's ever looked and yet the the movie ends with these these last few hallucinations include a sequence where Shinji and Yui are finally talking directly and they're sort of floating apart from one another in an empty space and um Shinji is is promising his mother that he'll be okay and it sort of recalls the scene in the TV show where you know, it's like baby Shinji and Yui are under the tree. And you're never sure what Shinji says, but Yui says, I'm glad to hear it. And in this moment, Shinji finally says, I'll be OK. And he finally separates from his mother. He resurfaces in the LCL on, on the Earth somewhere. Um you see all like in the ground you obviously see Rays. You see Rays head in the horizon and it's nightfall at this point so it's dark. You've got Rays head split open as this giant monument in the horizon and you have all of these crucified mass production Evangelion units. Um and unit 1 at this point is actually still in space. So Shinji is in the LCL, he's back on Earth whereas Ava Unit 1 has sort of warped the Lance of Longinus. It's broken free from the Tree of Life, and it's just floating out into space. And
1: we end the movie on a shore. On that shore is Shinji, and next to him is Asuka. Weirdly bandaged, up, bandaged up a lot, yeah. like how Ray was bandaged up in the first episode of the series. Right,
0: remember Asuka has had her arm split open at one point in this movie, and it feels like all of her her bandages, all of her treatments, ref- and and she also has an eye patch, right?
1: Right, um. right, right. Um, and it's kind of this this strange moment where Shinji stares off into the middle distance and sees ray there for a brief second yeah
0: like standing on the water
1: and then his his next act is to roll over on top of Oscar and start to choke her I Like, I still haven't been able exactly to figure out why he would do that in that instance. I was thinking that maybe it was, like, his stress testing of reality, which seems kind of thin. The first time
0: I watched the show, I had exactly that interpretation, right? I just thought of, like, oh, this is his way of being, like, she's real, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's a sort of overloaded, violent way to do that. But it, I always... Or not always, but I remember thinking... That was what's happening in that moment. Shinji is trying to confirm his reality. He's trying to confirm that humanity is back to being the humanity as he recognizes it. I think rewatching the show now, I think it's actually supposed to be this very pessimistic moment, right? Where you have Shinji and Asuka, and maybe all of humanity will return from the LCL, maybe not. But in this moment, they are basically the last two people on Earth. And on the one hand, it's like... You have Shinji crawl on top of Asuka and start to strangle her, as he did in the dream. And it's this very violent moment, but you also quickly see Shinji's tears falling on her face. And to me, it's the, the tears that actually make the moment, because I feel like you're supposed to understand that it's yet another moment where, on the one hand, Shinji has this affection for Asuka, but he, he cannot express that affection in a healthy, nonviolent way. And so it just feels like yet another moment where these characters are conflating sex and violence. And so it's like, it's, it's not like his tears aren't a sexual urge, but it's just, it just feels like he misses Asuka. But once again, he doesn't know how to articulate how he really feels about Asuka. So he, he does this totally violent, counterproductive thing in the form of strangling her And it feels like that dynamic is mirrored in how Asuka reacts to this, right? It's sort of, you're unsure for a bit whether Asuka's alive. Shinji's strangling her, and Asuka reaches up very slowly to caress Shinji's face, right? And that is a moment where Asuka's expressing her own affection for Shinji. But then we hear Asuka's final lines of the movie as Shinji lets up off of her and, and sort of lets go of her neck. And Asuka just says, how disgusting. And I I feel like that's the similar dynamic as with Shinji, right? Where it's like, on the one hand, she's caressing his face. But on the other hand, she, she regresses back to doing the thing that Asuka always does, right? Which is saying... Which which is addressing Shinji Ikari with an insult. And so you have these two people who, on the one hand, like, congratulations on the fact that Shinji abandoned instrumentality and returned back to the real world. But Mm -hmm. there's this slightly pessimistic coda where these two characters, instead of the movie ending with them, you know, instead of ending with... Oh, this is their second chance at life. It ends with both of them in this moment of regression where it's just like their their old pathologies threaten to consume them again, right? They're just they just have their old dynamic back even in this moment where they should be just so glad to still be alive and see each other.
1: Right. right? The, the 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 small victory of two like People that are fucked up so profoundly choosing life is immediately offended by the fact that nothing is actually different uh like within themselves i guess um than it was before they were yell were 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 the orange you know primordial pea liquid stuff, you know? It's, nothing is different. They're, 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 they still have to get over the same obstacles that they did before. Right, exactly.
0: And if anything, that that's sort of part of the bargain that Shinji strikes by reversing instrumentality, right, is that it's not like a fucking fairy tale where it's like you learn the lesson at the end and then you go on to live happily ever after. No, you learn the lesson and the lesson is that fucking relationships are hard and being alive is hard and you're going to go back to this weird, teenage, angsty, sexually frustrated relationship that you have with Asuka, and it's going to suck as much as it sucked before. But at least you're alive, and at least you're an individual, and you got to live with the implications of that. That's how I read the scene now, I think. The fact of the ambiguity of it, though, is is just kind of brilliant. I don't know. It's such a... It's such a... It's such a something way to end the movie. I don't a know. Something
1: way to, it's a very it's a very hashtag what y'all think way to end. What y'all end the movie. think? I, mm. It's a I it is imagine if imagine if Twitter had existed for the movie finality of Evangelion when it first came out. Yeah.
0: I don't wanna imagine that shit. Because it just wasn't bad. <laughs> People will ruin that shit. I would I would never wanna think about it again after like 72 it would be like a game of thrones finale situation or something right be like all right i'm tired of talking about this shit (laughs) Um, that's the thing it's like that that's sort of why i'm really happy that we've done this podcast right it's sort of i mean the way you could talk about this finale is the way people talk about like the sopranos tv finale right and it's just i you know i think there's a lot of i've read a lot of good writing about tv in the era of prestige tv and then peak TV. Um, but yeah man it's like a lot of anime does a lot of cool shit and it just falls outside of the concern of that kind of television that otherwise gets written about a lot and talked about a lot Um, and this show had a supremely like fucked up ambiguous ending like <laughs> a decade and some change before the Sopranos alright <laughs> just for the record <laughs> <laughs> a decade and
1: some change for the Sopranos before lost, before Man,
0: lost, lost your swag, more like it.
1: Lost your <laughs> lost your swag, um, smoke monster. Wait, how about how about a <laughs> how about a giant like you know corporeal manifestation of a of a metaphysical being that holds the world in its hands. That's
0: real shit. How do you feel? I think I think more important than like, oh, what Oscar's final lines mean. What does the end of the movie mean? I think one one thing I really like about this movie is that the final that final shot I really think is about how it makes you feel. I think that's sort of the brilliance of the series is that it sort of cuts through a lot of think of how convoluted some of the religious imagery gets or how convoluted some of the plot gets, especially with a lot of the sale nerve stuff. I think Anno is really good at using that stuff to stoke intrigue but and then it doesn't like, matter very,
1: yeah well i mean like it, it it's in both the the tv series and eventually the movie it is it gets to a place after all of the posturing and all of the jerry rigging and all of the terminology to a place of it just kind of comes out and tells you what's important
0: yeah yeah and in a way that feels artful not in a way that again we talked about this with the tv series finale but it's the characters do come out and very explicitly tell you, sort of like, listen, this is what your fucking problem is, Shinji Akari. But it's almost like Anno is really good at making you think for long stretches that the thing about this show that's important is the plot, is the intrigue, or the unanswered questions. I don't think you can get to the end of this movie without realizing that like, oh shit, the actual, this story, the lore especially, is not important. What, what is important and what Ano really cuts to the heart of is like making you feel shit from scene to scene, from character development to character development. And I want to know, Micah, how do, how do you feel when you get to the end of this movie? You're watching Shinji Akari strangle Asuka. They're on a beach. They appear to be the only humans on Earth at the moment. Everyone's half dead, but also like resurrected. Everything feels gross. Everything's got pee on it. How do you
1: feel? It is... How must it smell out there? Anyway, this is, like, how I feel about it is that, like, I feel queasy, you know? The thing that I've kept saying about each and, it, like, it, it, all of the pivotal plot points of this series is that it finds a way to make victories feel like losses, and it is kind of stripping down what your idea of winning is and presenting its own version of that to you. So it's just like, all right, well, Shinji chose to not kill everybody on Earth. Uh, Congratulations. Um, Or like Shinji and Asuka decided to live and that's just going to have to be enough, you know, which seems realistic, but not for realism's sake. So, you know, coming as it is after all of this crazy shit anyway.
0: I will say that totally a big difference, the, the main difference between the TV ending and the movie ending to me is that like, the TV ending really does have this this implication of it gets better. And the, the movie does not. The, the movie really undermines that, right? The movie is so dedicated to saying, listen, Shinji made a good decision and he he really did make, a very, very meaningful personal progress by realizing why individuality is important, even though it creates a lot of pain and a lot of potential for miscommunication. But there's but forever to go. Don't after get it that. twisted. Yeah. You're about to be hurt some more. Right. Like you're gonna and you're gonna hurt other people and they're gonna hurt you. And it literally starts again the moment that he wakes up on the shore with Asuka.
1: Yeah, it's 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 you know acknowledging that life continues gratingly on after the breakthrough.
0: That brings us to the end, Micah. I mean, technically not because Hidayakiano Studio <laughs> Goro crazy vest. But they, <laughs> well, the motherfucker. There are. There's a reboot film series, the rebuild of Evangelion movies. Um, there's actually a new trailer out for the fourth and final one of those movies. We're not covering those movies on this podcast unless there is some popular demand that uh, manifests you know, in the form of a Twitter campaign and Sean Fenessy's mentions on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know.: I don't know maybe. Maybe I don't know. Maybe a Fan, you know, outcry
1: a change.org petition.: You know, If you if you're feeling froggy, you know, and you, and you want to get an airplane banner. Going over the offices, you know, we wouldn't be Los Angeles
0: to that. is where the ringer
1: is based. <laughs> we ain't giving out no addresses though. No, don't do that. Um, start, you know. Yeah. Beep. <laughs> um, this has been
0: fun. This is really, been, we talked about anime for six episodes, for six really long episodes.
1: Six Shouts really long out to long Evan Campbell, involved. our producer. God bless you, Evan. Um, oh, we Evan. are so sorry. <laughs> Evan, you are the light of my soul. You you, you know that um, uh, niggas ain't perfect, but we try, Lord. Yeah, actually, oh the gosh. intro, the the Diddy's intro to life after death was actually about the making of this podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, Michael, we should do this again sometime, and hopefully, we can. Uh, blackmail enough people, and make enough demands at The Ringer. Yeah, we could just to... strong
1: arm a few people, you know? Maybe yeah, put some yeah. people in some some moral binds, um, some literal <laughs> binds. <laughs> you know? You know?
0: Uh, I used to work in politics. I know how this shit works, okay? Um, <laughs> in, all serious, no, <laughs> in all seriousness, though, we've had a lot of fun doing this, I feel like, you know? Yeah. This show is super fun to talk about. It's super fun to argue about. It's super fun to totally misunderstand and rewatch and and mm. reinterpret
1: get needlessly granular about. We lo- we love yeah. that shit. We we live for th- this we is what gets shit. us out of bed in the morning.
0: <laughs> I don't know that I've thought about anything as long as I've thought about Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's been like 15 years, I don't know. It's been 15 years. It's been
1: 15 years. <laughs>
0: But yeah, we're done for now. If you want more anime content on the Ringer Network, though, seriously, you need to you need to at Sean Fantasy. I don't know. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll
1: see. Uh, I'm we'll just.
0: Yeah, uh, I know y'all want me to talk about Attack on Titan. I know I you. I
1: know. So I know you want to hear us argue about Attack on Titan, which slaps. Although Charity seems to disagree, I know you want to hear I mean, us talk about disagree. Cowboy Bebop.
0: Yeah, but now Bebop. We could talk about some Bebop. We could talk we about get, some we, Bebop. Live action Cowboy Bebop. I'm just saying, there are things we could talk about. You fuck with Gerda,
1: yeah.
0: You want to talk about? Mm, put us on the put us on the rewatchables feed. We could talk about Matt Cross. Do you remember Love? We could talk about <laughs> Pat Labor too. <laughs> talk about Grave of the Fireflies. I mean, that's not really a rewatchable. That movie is like too, I watch that movie like once every five years, maybe because it's a little depressing. Um, that's it. That's it from us. That's it from us. That's all we got. That's all we got. We love this shit. More anime.
1: Anime 2020. Very... <laughs> <There> we- <laughs> okay. <laughs> anime 2020. Anime 2020.
0: Literally, as we recorded this, Marion Williamson was posting Evangelion memes on Instagram, which, you know, not like Marion Williamson is a presidential frontrunner, but it says a lot about how far anime has come in my lifetime. In the West. So hopefully we get to do this again, but for now, congratulations. (laughs) We got all this shit we talk about, Ray rejecting.
1: Uh, your nail polish don't even match your toenail polish. Ritzko is just
0: frustrating.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you got you you wear too many earth tones.
0: Yo, that was real. Tr- I mean, that was actually true of me in college, right? Because I, I was. It's, it's,
1: it's, right, it's right, this, this crazy. I was
0: wearing the and it was like really when Vineyard Vines started popping off in Georgetown, and it was just like, I mean, I wear blue.
1: Wait a minute, Vineyard Vines is
0: popping off at any time. Yeah, dog, Georgetown, when they opened that shit up, I had, I didn't get the salmon pants because I thought that shit was obnoxious, but I definitely had, like, you know, I had I had variations of blue and brown, and those were the <laughs> colors I wore.
1: You know what I mean? Like, I had a little Republican swag. <laughs> I had variations of blue and brown. This is two years after the song Black about Republicans this, came out. Why are you okay? talking about this shit? Like, you're talking about, like... Like Raekwon talked about mox and like only built for Cuban. Like I had the na- I had the Navy blue, no, a Navy blue pair. Dude, I, you have
0: to understand. I grew up in Richmond. I wore like all rock aware. <laughs> like, come on. It was a different, you know what I mean? I felt like I was leveling up even though I was leveling down. You know, it was like, I thought it was like when Mario gets the, the, the fire flower when really it was like when you get tagged by a Goomba and you shrink. That's really what my college flow was like. And I just couldn't appreciate that at the time. I was better off when I had denim Rockaware jackets, when I look like Beanie Siegel, except I didn't have cornrows because I have Jesus hair a little bit instead of, you know what I mean?